Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Reminds me of, like, Grandma's house, like, when you were a little girl and you had to line up when you were sick and she'd be like, come get this stuff and rub it on your chest and go to bed. In the morning, you'd be all healed up. <laughs> Big vapor rub. Yeah, this some good stuff. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carlo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Recently, I attended the conference of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists in San Antonio and had the chance to sit down with Esmeralda Bermudez of the Los Angeles Times. Esme writes narratives about the lives of Latinos, and she covers a lot of ground, from follow-ups after the El Paso shooting to a fabulous and fun piece on Vic's Vaporub, or Vaporu, and what it means to Hispanics. She has great advice for covering communities that aren't used to getting attention. Today's topic, covering your community. Tell us about your background. How, how, did, you, how did you become a journalist? Why did you become a journalist? Um, very specific reasons, um, dating back a long, long time. Um, so when I was a kid, when I came from, I came from El Salvador at age five, and there was, you know, crazy very brutal war happening in the country and so my parents uh, my mom fled and I remember as a kid when I was seven years old eight nine ten very vividly remember um, them just being so committed religiously to the news you know six o'clock eleven o'clock news always watching for just a split you know a minute of El Salvador something about the war and that was something that was so powerful to me to see how the connection of just one minute worth of news meant so much to this family living so far away from everything they've known. And then also, I was their translator. You know, anytime my parents or anyone in my family, a huge family, with my mom has 10 siblings, and I've got more than 50 cousins, and anytime my uncles, aunts, friends of the family needed, like, to find, you know, work or get a driver's license at the DMV or buy a car on the side of the road, I was always the one there at 8, 9, 10 years old doing these deals, you know. I don't even know if I was translating correctly. But just being this bridge and handling one story from one community and taking it to another and then seeing it having this profound, very real result so instantly really cemented for me the power of communicating and storytelling and the power of the news, watching my parents watch you know, the news in the evening. So those two things, uh, and the fact that I was horrible at math and every other, sub- every other real subject other than writing and reading, I was obsessed with writing and reading. So those three things. Uh, are what um, led me to become a, a reporter. So, so you had that mission of covering communities from the beginning, but that you, when you started reporting, you were doing what everybody starts doing as a reporter. You covering breaking news, or what'd you do? When I graduated from uh, college, I went to, of all places, to work in Oregon. I had a, an offer, actually, for a fellowship at the LA Times, and everybody thought I was crazy because I turned them down, and I went to Oregon instead a place entirely different from anything I'd known. 
and my job was to cover um, city government in these three towns. Two of them were these tiny towns where you would sit there at city council meetings till like 11 or midnight talking about the red light that needed to be installed at the 7-Eleven and people would fight about it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die here in this little <laughs> tiny town covering these issues. And so, um, and I did that for about three years. I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful to those days because it taught you, you know, to understand just the minutia of life, like whether it's budget meetings or, you know, uh, a feud over buying the, a fire truck for, you know, this little town or, um, and then just being able to interact with a lot of people who half the time I had no clue what they were saying, you know, it was a whole new way of translating mm -hmm. the world. And, um, and so it built this really, I think, good foundation of how to be quick and how to um, know how to maneuver around different personalities and, and difficult subjects. And so in my third year, I've, I pushed to create a Latino slash immigration beat for the Northwest, Oregon, Washington. And, um, and then I started doing my own enterprising work from then. And then you end up at the LA Times and you have, basically explain your beat now. Your so, so my beat is a funny thing. When I, when, I, when I came to interview, so first of all, LA Times is my lifelong dream since I was a kid. I used to drive by um, the LA Times uh, building and uh, it, it, in the old English letters it said the LA Times, you could see it from the freeway and I would always pray, please let there be traffic so we could drive so slowly by this building so I could just savor the sign <laughs> on this building that I'm eventually going to work in. And, and little did I know it wasn't even the LA Times building, it was their printing press. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so, and so when, I, when I got hired there, it was just like this crazy dream come true. I remember I was working up in Oregon and I, as soon as I got the call, I went to the, my nearest church, and I was like, I'm going to just go light a candle, and the church was closed. So, like, all telenovela style, I was, like, on the steps of the church, just crying, like, thank you, God, you're bringing me home. So, the LA Times means a lot to me. Um, and, it, you know, and it's, of course, it's the LA Times, but when I say it means a lot to me, I'm referring really to the community that the LA Times gives me this key to write about, and I'm talking because it's the community about that the raised you, yeah. right? Yeah. It's the Latino community, and so that's what I felt like. I finally have this this key, this freedom, and they never really told me what my beat was. I actually <laughs> read about it online. Excellent. Yeah, it said something about she's going to use her immigrant background to tell stories, and I'm like, sweet, okay, <laughs> I can work with that. And so, so then I, I literally just kind of started at the paper, and I was like, okay, what do I do? And so I l turned to a colleague who was also Latino, who was also doing a similar job, and I said, do you have a couple contacts, you know, of people that you trust in the community? And he gave me three names, and when I met with those three people, I asked them for three, four names, and I asked those three, four people for three, four names, and then within weeks, I had hundreds of contacts. Of course, I reached out to probably a few dozen of those, but from there, the stories just started growing from just developing this roster very much on the ground uh, of people um, from, oh God, a whole mix of folks like paleteros and uh, theater, you know, owners and doctors and, you know, um, priests and just very average, regular people. That That's who I care to really work with. I'm not really, I don't really... My job doesn't really revolve around big buildings and offices and people with fancy titles. I, I really like to just connect with just regular people that you that you see every day, you know, walking around, uh, a, you know, a neighborhood or, or maybe you work next to them, you know, at, you know, a grocery store or restaurant or whatever, mercado. 
So you've had, and you've continued to have sort of that flexibility to... For 11 of, years now. That's amazing. Yeah, yes. for 11 years I've had this job. I know. Someone told me this morning, I think you might be the only one in the country that has this kind of gig. And I, it's unfortunate because I, I w- we need so many more of, of this, you know? So my, my job at the paper is really essentially to look for just rich, nuanced narrative stories about the Latino community that really get at just the layers of just all the the triumphs, the struggles, the the identity, the struggle, the struggle with straddling two cultures and the beauty of stra- straddling two worlds, you know, in America. And um, and you could be rich, you could be poor, you could be Salvadoran, you could be Mexican, you could be Puerto Rican. It's 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 all over the place. Do you have? I mean. It sounds like you set a lot of the agenda, or are the editors asking you to do certain things, or is it like you're you're leading the way because you know you know this yeah. area and this community better than anybody? So ninety five percent of the time, I if I don't go find the ingredients for what I'm cooking, then nothing will get cooked. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I have to, and it's it's a blessing and it's a curse um, because you know it's it's a wonderful thing to have this amazing latitude uh, there's no geographic boundaries um, there's a, quite a bit of time that I tend to get for my stories but it also means that I have to make sure that each story is strong and that um, and and that it's, it's entirely conceived and created and written by me um, uh, and reporters count on me to be able to bring those stories home uh, you know, you, oftentimes if I'm asked by editors to do something, it's usually if a huge breaking news story happens and I, they need me to do rewrite. Right. But 95% of the time, it's just kind of me rolling around talking to people. Talk a little about that sense of responsibility, which I'm sure it feels like you have. I mean, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders to try to represent yeah. Latinos in Los Angeles. I think, <laughs> yes. I know, I know, it's, it's, isn't it? I know, it sounds like like a huge amount of responsibility, but I just, I have so much fun doing it every day and it, and it's, and it's, you can always tell, ask my husband, you can always tell what kind of story I'm working on by what mood I'm in mm-hmm. that week or that month. If I'm working on a sad story, I will be depressed. Like, the, like I live... Oh, you internalize it all. Oh, everything. Every ounce of what I'm writing about. So if it's like a, a funny story, I'll be really, you know, happy all week or whatever, you know. So it's, I really do internalize it in such a profound way. And, and I think, and there's so much joy in that, you know, so... I, um, let me see, I, hold on, I forgot what you were asking me. <laughs> Just the way, the I, way. The I got way. so caught up in my joy right that's now. That's all right, that's good, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm so happy you have joy. You're just the weight of, I mean, I think for, you know, I, I think when you're, and you know this, we all, oh. uh, we, the weight of responsibility that you have, because, like, you're, you're trying to represent a, a large portion. I think that was very intimidating when you said that just now, I'm like, <laughs> oh like, my oh, God. Do I have to do that? Yes, I do that. <laughs> No, you know, yes, you're right. That's right. Yeah, I think I, I think you took my breath away when you said it that way. I thought, geez, my God, I, I have a lot to carry. To carry. Um, but I think I don't necessarily. So here's the thing. This is how I see my beat. Okay, um, I come from a, a huge Salvadoran family, right? There's like something like fifty something cousins. I've got just about everything you can think of in my family. There's this beautiful range. I mean, I've got cousins that are, a cousin that's a priest. I've ha- I have a cousin who's done time in federal prison for things. I have There's a good range. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I you know, I have cousins who have like zero education and some and some who have made it onto college. And so it's this beautiful mix of, of, of folks and that's very much how I see my, my beat. Like I don't 
I've come from other uh, places where I've seen Latinos covered on like Cinco de Mayo, Dia de los Muertos, you know, yeah. Hispanic Heritage Month, and it's it's very flat and very monotone and. And so for me, I, I don't, I see the, my, my work as I see my family with all those beautiful rainbow mm -hmm. layers. And so that's what I try to do. I, I'm constantly trying to pull at those threads. And, and the, the most beautiful thing that can happen to me on a story, and, it, and it's amazing because it happens often, whether it's with Vicks Vapor Rub or like piñatas or random things that I write about, is when someone, for example, in Wisconsin, who might be like a, a woman from Germany, you know, in her late 70s, will message me and she'll say, I totally connected with this, you know, young man, Roberto, that you wrote about, you know, here in L.A. And I've never been to L.A. and I'm hardly around Latinos, but I felt like his life was, his childhood was my childhood. And I'm like, wow, that's so mm -hmm. freaking cool. I'll have people from Iraq sometimes message me or India message me and say, I totally understand what it's like, you know, with fixed vapor rub or whatever issue, you know? <laughs> and so that's amazing because it's not so much... I'm just writing about humans, humanity. Wait, fixed vapor rub was a thing in, in Iraq? or <laughs> I uh, Yeah, in, in India. In like, India? Yeah, in a number of other countries, they messaged me about specifically wow. fixed vapor rub. It was so funny. That, that story so set off an interesting conversation for us because, like, you, you know, you feel like at this point in time, every newsroom should be devoting resources to covering their communities. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And obviously, a lot of communities around America are getting so much more diverse. But then you think, okay, well... Yeah, a white reporter isn't necessarily going to come up with that idea because... That's exactly what my editor said. I would have never Right, they imagined. would have never. So, I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. There's still that, of course, this push that we have and yeah. where we're still fighting for right. more representation because then I think you get stories like that. that right. I mean... And meanwhile, Vicks Vaporub is a thing I've been carrying like a cross on my back since college thinking I have to tell the story but I'm so scared that I'm not going to tell it right. Because I saw the beauty and the nuance and the nostalgia and the funniness about it. And I kept thinking, I'm just, I need to just mature enough to be able to tell the story. You've been wanting to write yes, about that since for, college. What, 15, 20 yeah, years? Almost 20 years. <laughs> I've been dreaming of writing. And the other one that I've been carrying around since college is, is uh, uh, the funny relationship a lot of immigrants have with dishwa the dishwasher. Yeah. That's one thing I'm going to eventually do, you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff that you just uh, carry around, and that's, that's one of the five ways that I uh, tend to find, um, you know, story ideas. One is mining myself, mm -hmm. you know, and my, my history, my family, playing close attention to how I was raised or the quirky things that my family or my friends might do that are in the Latino community. Um, I've written about the Mexicanization of Salvadorans in L.A., you know, how my, that, my editors thought that was wild. He's like, oh, why, why would you want to be Mexican? Mexicans are kind of, you know, oppressed. They feel oppressed and they feel kind of persecuted in L.A. And, and they didn't quite understand that when you came in from El Salvador, especially in the 80s. 
Mexicanos were, you know, a, a lot of times like the, the like the the managers at different factories, and to get a job, you had to kind of, you know, uh, act sometimes like you were like them, or and learn how to eat chile, which a lot of Salvadorans don't do. Um, and so, so minding yourself is one. Two, I think definitely follow where the money comes from, right? Who who's in charge of certain communities? Whether connect with city council members and their field representatives. Um, to, to understand where resources are going in a community. Three, um, connect with on-the-ground grassroots community leaders, those folks that fo people turn to when they need help, whether it's paying a bill or, you know, some issue with police or, uh, hey, we don't have a park in our neighborhood, I don't, my kids don't have anywhere to play, and that could be, it could be a priest, a doctor, a cultural center, an arts center, um, these natural leaders that just grow out of communities. Um, four, I think, um, read like crazy, you know, read, find out what the local, if there's local ethnic media on the ground or blogs, bloggers, social media groups, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Oh my God, I'm going to forget number five. Oh, oh my God, no, it's the most important one. Oh, goodness. Okay, number five is get out there and work the strips. Yeah. So find out where Latinos shop, where they eat, where they go to church. And there's always little corridors. It might be just a little strip mall with like a carniceria, panaderia, and a clinic. Or it might be an entire, like in LA, there's entire long corridors that are four or five blocks long dedicated entirely to like quinceañera and wedding planning, you know? And so just go out there with your business card. If you don't have business cards, just take a notebook and write down your name and your phone number and just work the heck out of that strip. Introduce yourself. And they're going to look at you like you're some zombie that escaped from who knows what planet the first time you show up because I, I guarantee you no one's ever come down that strip and done what you've done. But in a, mo a month later when you revisit that area, they're going to say, oh, Maria, I remember you. You were here last time, you know? Right. Um, and so, so just say, you know, I'm such and such. This is what I do, and I would really like to learn about your community. And what, what do you do? What's your story? When did you come from such and such country? Or how long have you lived here? Or how many kids do you have? What business do you, um, what what business do you have? Um, and so slowly, you'll become like this person that is is connected on along the strip. And I feel like nine times out of ten, I will walk away with some sort of story idea off of that strip. Mm -hmm. So those are I said five, right? You said five. Okay, cool. Um, and I imagine those people then, they're just like, they're in your Rolodex for whenever you have an idea about something, you can put your hands on someone right away. That you, you know, whatever, whatever background, whatever context you're looking for, you can find someone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a little bit about El Paso, because I mean, I felt like you, the LA Times did some really smart reporting around the, in the aftermath of the shooting. And I was particularly drawn to the one story where you guys, you, you talked to Hispanics who were like, fifth, sixth generation, who still felt like the other. And, I mean, it's a really powerful sentiment, I think, in the wake of what happened. So, like, was that your idea? Was that, how do you guys, what'd you, what'd you do in that, in that moment? Um, you know, and that, that story about the generational Latinos was, was such a, it, I felt like it was such a gift for me to be able to work on that story because, uh, uh, on a personal level, I'm, you know, I'm, I recently... I'm, I'm the immigrant generation. I came here when I was five years old. And I worked on it with Paloma Esquivel, a wonderful colleague who is one of those generational Texans who has, whose family has been here since, you know, the Alamo. And I always thought, I, I love Paloma so much. We have this really nice connection. 
and we share so, we share so many similar struggles like trying to pass our language Spanish along to our children and issues with diversity and all that. But I I always thought that it was myself the, the more recently arrived immigrant that struggles with identity and belonging and 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 just like you know um, feeling like oh I'm not American enough. And through telling the story and speaking to these families who have been here anywhere between a hundred to to five hundred years, they you know they had the same struggles. That was that was what was really fascinating. Yeah. And, and you know like it just. I, I think it was probably eye-opening to a lot of people. Yeah. To have, I mean, it was eye-opening to me. Yeah. To, yeah. To, to speak to them and to hear, and it, and it wasn't just um, the the unbelievable nuance that was was that was in their um, stories. Like you know, people, some of the folks that I spoke to were really struggling with. Uh, God, I have light skin and I feel guilty about it. You mm -hmm. know, because maybe the shooter might let me off the hook because he might think I'm white. Or really struggling with the rifts, the political rifts in their family, how their family over the course of time had become. Once upon a time, relatives had marched with Cesar Chavez and were more progressive, and then certain branches of the family became highly conservative and very appreciative of Trump and, and not thinking at all that he's in any way you know, racist. And so these rifts that, that came about in one family and, and then others who had um, all their lives denied that they were Latino and said, I'm white. And now, because of El Paso, they started saying, no, actually, I'm Latina. I'm going to take my last name back, right. and I'm going to start being proud and, and show that this is my way of protesting, to show that, you know, I'm brown. And that's, I mean, you know, there's so much nuance in that story, mm -hmm. and I think that's what we miss, our industry. Uh, we can, week in, week out, we, we don't cover a lot of that nuance, you know. This is, you know, Hispanics become this monolith, and we're all... Oh, yeah. Everybody's the same, and it's it, it I, you know, and it's and it's all about immigration, as if there's no other topics right. that that matter. So, and that's that's so important to me. You know, at the L.A. Times, I, I'm constantly pulled. I, I have this inner struggle because I always tell my husband, "Gosh, you know, there's so much pain and suffering and just injustice right now in the world, and I want to be in the trenches, constantly covering the issues." But at the same time, I I think life, you know, doesn't just happen in this roaring river you know, of drama, people are up on the banks and they're living lives and having babies and building homes and just moving forward. And, and you, you can't, if you only cover the Roaring River, then you become, you turn Latinos into caricatures of whatever, you know, whether it's, it's Trump or someone else, you turn them into caricature, caricatures of whatever drama is happening in that time. And I don't want us to look back 10 years from now at 2019, 2018, and, and for all that's written, documented, is that Latinos were the victims of, you know, whether it's Trump or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I want them to also remember that, hey, they were putting on Vicks Vapor. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and they were just, like, they were building things and doing things and living in, and just, and, and there's such wonderful humanity in that, you know. And so um, I'm, I'm, my goal is to just keep doing both of these things. Because there are an endless amount of ideas. Oh, God, yes. And that's what's incredible. It's just, it's absolutely endless. And I'm so happy that I, I, I it's the biggest privilege of my life to be out there, to have the freedom and, and, and the, the trust, um, not, not, not just from my paper, but ultimately from the community, you know, to be allowed mm -hmm. in. The, so many of the spaces that I, that I go, go to in L.A., because L.A. is so huge, 
they've never had an LA Times reporter there. And and I have to go in and I gotta build trust. Like the Biñata the story that I did about the Biñata district in LA, you know, which is this huge a very like dynamic street market with so many vendors. It's one of the most dynamic places in LA. I had to go there about eight, nine times over the course of three months because the first four, four or five visits, they just didn't want to have anything to do with me. They didn't trust me. They thought I was either with health health services or immigration. And so it mm -hmm. takes time and, and taking my newspapers and saying, look, this is what I write and this is what you would potentially look like in the paper. And they need to see brown faces. I was going to say, and they're probably not reading the paper because they, right. they don't expect yeah. to see stories yeah. of themselves. Yeah. Um, so one final question. So th does it help you to be the hometown reporter? I mean, is there an advantage to, you know, this is your city? Because um, I, I feel like sometimes um, we don't hire enough people who grow up in that oh, yeah. place, you know, yeah. like who, and I feel like, like it must be an advantage. I think in a place like L.A. it definitely is because it's such a sprawling area. I mean, it's so, you're talking about L.A. County's 10 million people, and, and there's even now I'm, what, 40 years old almost, and I still hear neighborhoods in L.A. that I've never heard of. I'm like, where is that? And it turns out it's 30 minutes from my house. Mm. I've never heard of this neighborhood. And so um, I know the, the, the landscape pretty well. Um, you know, I had internships in Orange County and Ventura County, and I grew up in, on the east side of L.A., and I've slowly gotten to know the west side. That's probably the area that I know the least, where, like, the wealthy people of <laughs> L.A. live. Um, but, but I've you know, I know the area pretty well, so I... I I, I know how to maneuver my way around the area, and, and, and I think over the course of 11 years, I've built such good sources in the community where people trust me for things, and word has gotten around about who I am and how I handle stories, and that's the biggest reward to be able to approach someone and say, oh yeah, I read your such and such story, come on in, mm -hmm. you know, there's trust there, we yeah. know you're going to handle this with, with, with respect and with nuance. It's not about doing a positive story. It's about doing a story with depth and nuance. And I think that's what people want. They don't want you to take the perfect portrait of them. They just want you to take a portrait that really captures, mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the layers of their life. And, and take time. I mean, we're constantly on this rushing uh, uh, freeway. And rarely now in journalism, especially when it comes to communities of color, do you get off, off the off-ramp, go into someone's house, sit on their couch, and just listen to them. And that's the only way that you can truly connect as human beings to sit across from each other and talk, like we're talking. Okay, if you have a question for Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.